Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Is it worth it? The Film Review Podcast presents Road to the Oscars. Join me, David Long, on this journey as we talk all things Oscars before the big event, the 93rd Academy Awards, on Sunday the 25th of April, 2021. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Road to the Oscars. Hello, and welcome to Series 2, Episode 3 of Is It Worth It Presents Road to the Oscars. My name is David Long, and I am your host. Thank you for joining me on this journey as we count down the days to the 93rd Academy Awards on the 25th of April, 2021, in sunny Los Angeles, US of A. If you love film, and especially if you love awards season, then you, my friend, are in the right place. On today's episode, we'll be focusing on another of the principal categories, Best Director. This category recently made history at the Golden Globes with three women all being nominated for the Best Director Award. Previously, only five women had been nominated in the Globes' 77-year history, so I'm sure you will agree this was lovely to see. It is entirely possible that we could have at least two women nominated for Best Director in the same year. That shouldn't be a big deal, but it really is. It's never happened before. In fact, only five women have ever been nominated for Best Director at the Oscars and only one woman has ever won. This was Catherine Bigelow who won Best Director at the 82nd Academy Awards in 2010 for The Hurt Locker. The Best Director category looks as hot as ever. So let's crack on with the show and examine it. It gives me great pleasure to introduce my third guest on this series from the superb podcast, The Nomcast. It's the fabulous Andrew Morgan. Andrew, how art thou? I am great, David. I am so happy to be here. I love the podcast. Glad to be here. doing Talking the Oscars, not something I get to do a lot. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's absolutely great to have you on the show. And before we dive into the directing category, please tell our lovely listeners a little bit about yourself and obviously all about the Nomcast. Tell us what it's about. Yeah, uh, the Nomcast is the Netflix original movie podcast. So N-O-M, Netflix original movies. Uh, we basically you know do deep dives, uh, full out reviews on the most popular and biggest titles. Uh, so it's not always like the best movies i'm not these are not recommendations <laughs> sometimes we will you know annihilate a movie yeah. uh, if we so choose um but we'll we'll do the full reviews we'll do previews of uh movies coming up we'll do interviews with uh you know the creators of some of these films or the actors involved yeah so you know it's if you are really into netflix original movies and want to know everything and probably more than enough uh, that's our <laughs> podcast <laughs> yeah that's great andrew and where can our lovely listeners find your work find that podcast well the easiest thing to do is visit us on the web at nomcastpod.com uh, you can also uh, follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Nomcast Pod. So everything is 
Nomcast pod if you want to lodge that in your brain and never let it go. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Superb. So please, listeners, do make sure you check out Andrew's extensive selection of work. So, Andrew, shall we crack on with the main body of the show? Let's do it. So, folks, it's our second episode in February, and award season continues to take shape. We've had the Golden Globe, Screen Actors Guild, and Critics' Choice Awards nominations all out. As well as this, the Writers Guild nominations are out now, and the jigsaw puzzle of award season is starting to become clearer. Andrew, before we have a study of the director category, I really am fascinated to know, from all the Netflix films you've seen in the last 12 months since the last Oscars, what's been your favourite and secondly what's Netflix's best chance of gold come Oscars Sunday well weirdly uh, these are two different answers Uh, you would think that the cream would rise to the top on both sides (laughs) I'd say my favourite film of the year is not one that's necessarily in the Oscars conversation at least as far as best picture is concerned I, I truly loved The Life Ahead with Sophia Loren Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. It it made me openly weep. Mm. It made me it is a it's poetry. It was yeah. such a beautiful story. Um an incredible performance uh for uh, a young actor that is kind acts kind of acts as the lead in this mm. film. Uh it's it's gorgeous. You know, if you can handle subtitles, uh, yeah. you know, of course I, I definitely recommend it because some of the international titles have actually been my favorite uh, mm. of the year. So, you know, Netflix included in kind of overall. Um, but yeah, I'd say the life ahead uh, was absolutely remarkable. Uh, but as far as like my favorite uh, be- that film, that's still in serious contention, Chicago seven. Oh, would okay. Probably be that e- even though I would say uh, I have third act issues a little bit slightly. Yeah. Um, I still think it's, you know, it's not only it's probably its best chance, but it's also my favorite of that. Though yeah. there are multiple movies for Netflix that I think could bring home at least one, if not multiple Oscars, especially when you consider Mank and Ma Rainey alone mm. might might bring home a bunch because they have several below the line noms that they are kind of front runners if you look at gold derby or betting odds yeah yeah the you mentioned the betting odds there the really interesting thing about the betting is the 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 film at the moment is gaining that momentum in the market and that interest is definitely the trial of the chicago seven um Mm. i think it's got a good chance of winning best picture drama at the globes obviously it's up against nomadland and depending on what book you look at they're both pretty close in the betting but the oscars betting which is something that i monitor very very closely um, the trial of the Chicago Seven is definitely that Netflix juggernaut is something that is gaining um, momentum. So Andrew, really appreciate those two answers, um, and that obviously leads us on um, to take a look at the best director category. Um, and like our previous episode, I think it's important to highlight the nominations so far in this award season, as that gives us a great insight into the Oscars race that is unfolding. Um, And before we list the nominations, just a quick date for the diary for our listeners. Uh, The Director Guild nominations are out on Tuesday, the 9th of March. And as always, these will be a key precursor for 
the Oscars. So let's focus on some nominations we do have. And one of the nominations we do have is the Golden Globes. And the Golden Globe nominations are as followed. Best Director in a Motion Picture. We've got David Fincher, Mank, Regina King, One Night in Miami, Aaron Sorkin, The Trial of the Chicago 7, Chloe Zhao, Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell, Promising Young Woman. Andrew, if you would be so kind, could I please have the nominations for the Critics' Choice Awards? Of course. Uh, you have Lee Isaac Chung from Minari from A24, Emerald Fennell, Promising Young Woman from Focus Features, David Fincher from Mank from Netflix, Spike Lee, Defy Bloods from Netflix, Regina King, One Night in Miami from Amazon, and Aaron Sorkin, The Trial of Chicago 7 from Netflix, and of course, Chloe Zhao, Nomadland from Searchlight Pictures. Mm. And the interesting thing is, just as with our last episode, it's important to note that we can see some patterns emerging. Fincher, King, Sorkin, Zhao, and Fennell all receive both Golden Globes and Critics' Chore. Critics' Chore? Critics' Choice Awards mm -hmm. nominations. Um, and Andrew, before we study each director in a little more detail, um, who do you think are the lock nominations come Oscars Sunday? Well, it's a little hard to say, sort of. I would say that because I, if memory serves, that the DGA nominations is the big outlier here that we yeah. don't have. And if I, again, if I remember correctly, that the... They're kind of almost not one to one, but like they're they're pretty they're the biggest precursor yeah, that definitely. you need to have as far as, you know, going forward with the Oscar nomination predictions. Um, but right now, if I had to say Chloe Zhao, David Fincher and Aaron Sorkin to me are locks. Yeah. And then and then the last three are kind of, you know, King Fennell and Chung kind of battling for those last two spots. Yeah, uh, I have exactly the same thing. I have Zhao, Fincher, and po and as locks, and then Sorkin. I've got as like a possible lock. I know that's a bit of a hypocritical <laughs> statement, but I'm I'm I haven't got the commitment to say Sorkin. But I'll agree with you, Zhao, Fincher, and possibly Sorkin. And you mentioned the DGA there. I I do actually have some stats. Um, I've done a bit of research over the last couple of days. I've had my calculator out, and I've been uh, doing a little bit of mathematics. Um, and I think they are important before we dive into the director category. So what I've done, Andrew, is I've actually looked back over the last 20 years of the DGA, the Globes and the Critics' Choice Awards to see if we can see any patterns or clues about what mm. these awards mean for your Oscars chances. And the results were really, really interesting. And I'll start with the DGA. In the last 20 years, 16 out of the 20 DGA winners have gone on to win Best Director at the Oscars. The four Guild winners who did not win the Oscar were Ange Lee, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in the year 2000, Rob Marshall, Chicago in 2002, Ben Affleck for Argo in 2012, who, believe it or not, was nominated at... at um, uh, sorry, despite winning the DGA, the Globe and the Critics' Choice, was not actually nominated at the Oscars. Um, and finally, last year's award season, Sam Mendes, who won the DGA, but Bong Joon-ho won the Oscar. So that's 16 out of the last 20 DGA winners went on to win at the Oscars. That's an 80% crossover in the last 20 years. Um, and I'm sure you'll agree that's, that's an incredible number. So like you said, those DGA nominations 
are going to be very, very interesting. And just briefly, if you look at the Critics' Choice and the Golden Globes, you get a slightly dif different picture. Um, in the last 20 years, 13 out of the 20 Critics' Choice winners have gone on to win Best Director at the Oscars. That's a 65% crossover. And finally, in the last 20 years, 10 out of the 20 Golden Globe winners have gone on to win Best Director at the Oscars. That's a 50% crossover. So in the last 20 years, you've got an 80% crossover for the DGA, a 65% crossover for the Critics' Choice, and a 50% crossover for the Golden Globes. So in theory, if you don't win the Globe, your Oscars chances are still, you know, they're still alive. It's more about that DGA. Correct. Yeah, I, it's so important. And obviously we have the Golden Globes this Sunday. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're a little ahead of the game, but I think as far as at least nominations go, I think they're definitely coming together. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for the Golden Globes on Sunday. We unfortunately we don't actually air them live in the UK, so I'm going to be following them on film Twitter, literally refreshing my page, watching those um, <laughs> nominations come. Sorry, not nominations; those winners um, come through. So, with those statistics in mind, let's start by taking a look at the first director on our list, and it's Spike Lee for *The Five Bloods*. Um, his Oscar history is really interesting. He's had five nominations, including one win for 2018's Black Klansman in adapted screenplay, plus an honorary Oscar in 2016. Previous films to name but two as Malcolm X and The Black Klansman. Andrew, what did you make of The Five Bloods? And also, what do you think about Spike Lee as a director and his chances come Oscars Sunday? Uh, I mean... The Five Bloods, I thought was I didn't think it would be as critically praised at the end of the year as it was. Yeah, uh, especially after you know we have we have quite a bit. Uh, like you said, I mean we're we're talking about basically eleven directors to come, and he's kind of in the bottom of the order. I would actually agree with that assessment. Mm. I thought there were I had some issues with that film in terms of structure and things like that. That would definitely I would mark against Spike Lee himself for that. I, I mean it's good. It's definitely not top tier Spike Lee by any measure. I would agree, um, yeah. And as far as the, the Oscar chances, I mean, only nominated once for director in 30 years. Uh, you know, he won his Oscar, you know, for adapted screenplay mm. recently on top of his honorary awards. So I don't see this being some case of like, oh, we need to get Spike in here. Yeah. Uh, you know, even for like, say, a lesser film to like bump him up. I don't see anything like that going on. Um, so I, I'm, I'm thinking he's uh, he's out on this one. Yeah, that's I mean, th there is some sort of logic to the madness of this order that I've created. Um, and I th <laughs> and I think Spike Lee is he's on the outside looking in. And, and the strange thing about the Five Bloods is I, I really enjoyed it. We reviewed it on the main show. And we did have issues with um, elements of that film. Um Two things I would say quickly. Delroy Lindo I thought was tremendous. Um, we awesome. touched We touched upon him in the last episode. Uh, scandalous, some of the snubs that he's been getting, but this is not a, an acting special, so we'll, <laughs> we'll focus on the, on the director. I think, like you said, it's, it's not Spike Lee's best work, but it's, it's, it's a film that seemingly came out ages ago as well. Yes. You know, I was... I was, it, I was it, but in that... Well, sorry, but in that case, I mean... It was the kickoff, essentially. It had that summer big moment, mm. and I think that lingered for a lot of critics, and that's why it maybe had some legs to get yeah. to the end of the year. But to me, I, that was a movie that I, out of sight, out of mind. 
Yeah, I totally agree. It's one of those things that's sort of come and gone. Um, very different to the next director and film that we're going to look at, um, which if you if you follow award season, if you look at film Twitter, if you look at the nominations, um, Sound of Metal from Amazon Studios. Um, the director is Darius Marder. Um, he's never been nominated for an Oscar. Um, previous films include things like The Place Beyond the Pines in 2012 and Loot in 2008. Unfortunately, this is not a film that I've seen. Now, have you seen this one, Andrew? I have. Uh, it, it's an impressive film. I think it's very understated. I, di- I didn't understand why people were putting it, like, say, the, the, their tops for some critics uh, yeah. across the board. I think it's a good performance, uh, you know, all the way around. You know, Rocky, you know, has, I thought, had some potential for best supporting, but mm. I don't think that's going to happen. Riz Ahmed... Uh, you know, definitely is, you know, has tremendous momentum huge uh, yeah. for, for best actor. But I think, uh, you know, not to dip into other categories, but I think the Chadwick Boseman thing I would hope uh, is all but locked up for best actor. You know, I think and the odds makers are kind of going in that direction. But it's also hard for a movie that's a, a first feature to really gain that much momentum you know, unless Amazon pushed incredibly hard and, and somehow made it work. But for a first feature, uh, he has no real precursors in terms of any of the other uh, nominating bodies. Yeah. And the, he has one nomination uh, for best first feature at the Indie Spirits, but we won't know the results of that until almost at showtime. So yeah. I don't think that helps a lot for him. So I think, again, kind of outside looking in. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm I'm really excited to to see this film. Obviously, me and Craig will review it on the main show once we get hold of it, um, and and give you guys a, a full analysis of that film. But yeah, Darius Marder definitely on the outside looking in. But like you said, a very interesting piece of of filmmaking there. Um, another person to touch upon and another film to touch upon is Florian Zeller for The Father. This comes from Sony Pictures Classics. Um, his Oscar history, he's never been nominated. He's actually a, a French writer and director. He is, according to The Times, which is a UK paper, the most exciting playwright of our time. Um, <laughs> he's written more than 10 plays which have been staged in more than 45 countries. So this is a man that's not you know, um, a stranger to creating dramatic pieces of work. Um, I'm not sure if this is his first feature film, um, but it is. Yeah. That's what I have it as. It's his first. Yeah. Yeah. And I, unfortunately, again, I haven't been able to see the father. Um, this is, have you seen this one? No, this film is not out in the U.S. Uh, to watch just yet. Like I, I feel jealous of people who got to watch it out of Sundance yeah, last yeah. year. And that's why for some people are like, my goodness, what year is this? Because it's <laughs> been over a year since this movie technically you know, first came out. Yeah, um, I've 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 made the joke on the main show. I've watched the trailer. I've squeezed as much juice out of that <laughs> out of that trailer as I can, and it looks. I mean, again, this is not the acting categories, but Olivia Coleman uh, looks tremendous, um, and the lead actor there, who's uh, Anthony Hopkins, I nearly forgot his name there. Um, <laughs> he also looks great. But for Florian Zeller, um, you know, there is she's she's if you go on Gold Derby and Variety, her name is mentioned, so that's why she comes in at number nine on our list. Um, again, I would say she's sort of on the outside looking in. Um, 
Wait a minute, I've just realised I've been referring to Florian Zeller as she for the last 30 seconds. I do apologise for my buffoonery. I can confirm Florian Zeller is definitely a man. <laughs> my apologies for that. And swiftly moving on to the next film. The, the next film is something that I'm really, really excited about. We haven't had a chance to see it yet here in the UK. Um, I believe it's out in theatres in the US and also on HBO Max. Um, it's Shaka King's Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, comes to you from Warner Brothers. Uh, Oscar history, uh, never nominated. Um, previous films include Newly Weeds 2013 uh, and Mulligan's, I think that's how you say it, 2015. Mm. Um Andrew, what what did you make of Judas and the Black Messiah and also Shaka King here? This uh, saddens me. This is my favorite film of the ones in serious awards contention. Yes. And it doesn't seem to be getting the momentum that it deserves. I loved his direction, uh, especially for being only a second feature. And the first one was, you know, eight, you know, seven, eight years ago at this point. Uh, I would put him in if I had a vote, but sadly I don't. I was... I've been impressed with him, not only in interviews, but also uh, with the film itself basically being like this Trojan horse, you know, building yeah. in a, a departed style crime movie around a biopic for, you know, uh, Fred Hampton, that it's it's an impressive feat uh, all the way around. You know, it's well shot. The screenplay's tight. I, I I can't say enough about this movie and super impressive that this is like the first big studio picture for Shaka King. I can't yeah. wait to see what he does next. Um, I uh, listeners of the main show will know Craig gave me a bit of stick. So I, I watched the trailer for this film. And for me, I, I said on the show, if trailers could win Oscars, <laughs> yes, <laughs> like this trailer would win an Oscar. This trailer blew me away. Um, and I did a little bit of research. I did a little bit of studying and, and regular listeners will know I like a bet and I do like a bet on the Oscars. I've actually backed this to win best picture. Um, uh, I prices range in the UK at the moment from 16 to one to as big as 25 to one. Mm. Um, I have backed it. It's it's best picture chances aren't dead. A lot's going to depend on what happens at the PGA producers yeah. guild. And if it gets a nomination there, but I'm really, really excited for this film. I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased you've just given it a short glowing review um, because obviously I'm hoping that it gets into the, to the best picture lineup um, in terms of Shaka King's chances. Again, I think this is another promising director who's, who's created something I believe from what I've read, you know, engaging, powerful, hard hitting, it'll put you on your ass kind of thing. Um, but he's he's on the outside looking in. But we'll have to see how um, award season pans out. Um, the next director on our list is is a film, thankfully, that I've seen, um, <laughs> and it's News of the World from Universal Pictures, um, directed by Paul Greengrass. Uh, Oscar history, uh, one nomination for 2016's United 93. Um, previous films include the likes of United 93, some of the Bourne films. Um, and this was actually going back sort of five, six months. This was one of the betting principles for Best Picture. Um, if you looked in the betting markets, as I did many, many months ago, yeah. and it's slowly gone back and back and back. And... I think the first thing to say about it is Helena Zengel, her performance is tremendous. Obviously, she's picked up a number of nominations, including that Golden Globe nomination. Um, 
as for the direction, it's it's a it's a strange film because I wouldn't describe it as like your classic western. It's more of like a a period drama in many ways. There's not much action, so to speak. We do get one big action sequence, which I thought was executed brilliantly. Um, Andrew, have you seen News of the World? And if so, what, what did you make of it? I have not uh, just yet. Unfortunately, this is one of the ones that I haven't caught just yet. But, you know, Greengrass, at least uh, I, I in the past, I've, I've always appreciated his style. Uh, he's especially good with action and handheld work. Yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, even for having previous DGA Golden Globe nominations and, as you noted, the Oscar uh, directing nom for United 93, I, I can't see this one getting nominated. I think its chances lie more in adapted screenplay and Best Supporting Actress, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I can't see the, the directing nom coming through here. No, I, I, I think... Again, Greengrass is on the outside looking. News of the World um, is available now on on Netflix in the UK. Um, it's certainly worth checking out. Um, but the next the next person on the on the list is 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 really interesting because I would say it's the first of the people we've discussed that I think there's genuine chance of that. Um, or there's an outside chance of that Oscar nomination. Um, and that is Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, which um, is an A24 piece. Um, the Oscar history is never nominated. Uh, previous films would include Lucky Life 2010, Abigail Harm 2012. I haven't had a chance to see this yet, but I've heard tremendous things about this movie. Uh, I'm taking it you've, you've managed to catch this one, Andrew. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see this at uh, Middleburg Film Festival, and I was I was very impressed. Uh, you know, I didn't know. You know, it it obviously had a lot of momentum, winning awards out of Sundance, um, and then I was able to see it, like I said, on the festival circuit during the year. But my goodness, uh, uh, a tremendous effort for a director that I was unfamiliar with, and and it's a deep cast. It's it's a quiet, understated movie, mm. but with some powerful performances uh, all the way up and down the card. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it. Lee Isaac Chung got Critics' Choice and Indie Spirit directing nominations. Yeah. You know, uh, Golden Globes did him and the film no favors and yeah, none of totally the, agree there, are yeah. the, the pundits any favors by messing it up with putting in best foreign language film. Yeah, uh, that which was strange. Obnoxious. Yeah, no, it's it's racist is what it is. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's an American production. It's an American picture um, just because you're speaking a different language. It's it's outdated, and the Golden Globes, you know, the Hollywood Foreign Press is going through their own scandal right now. Yeah. So uh, I'll I'll let the other people string them up for it. But this one is <laughs> just just weird. Um, if you want to call it that, if you don't want to call it racist, but uh, DGA Nam here maybe puts him in. Yeah. Um, but I I'm curious to uh, see where that goes because I think he might have a tough time. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. But he's, we've we've said other people on the outside looking. He's sort of knocking on the door. Um, yes, the, the the door hasn't been opened yet. But like you say, that DGA is is we said in the last twenty years, eighty um, percent of those DGA winners go on to win the Oscar. Um, and d- people who are nominated for the DGA, unless you're um, 
Ben Affleck, who won it and wasn't nominated at the Oscars, bizarrely, um, tend to get that nomination. Um, So, yeah, that's Lee Isaac Chung for uh, Minari. Um, Thank you, Andrew, there for for that analysis. And, yeah, like you said, the the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is, is... Oh boy, where where do you begin with that? Some of the stuff I've been reading <laughs> recently, it's it's it, it needs to get into the twenty first century. Um, yes. It's, it's, oh my goodness, yes. It's struggling to uh, play by the rules, I would say. Um, but we won't get we won't get too much uh, yes. into that. Um, I think another director um, and a film that I know Craig is tremendously excited about like craig thinks this is going to win in multiple categories he thinks it's got a a best picture chance and that's promising young woman from focus features um directed by emerald fennell um her oscar history is that she's never been nominated um unfortunately this is a um a film that i've i've not been able to see um our listeners will be pleased to know that the the next three films I, I have all seen. So if you're thinking, why hasn't he seen any of these films? Um, as you know, there's a lockdown in the UK. A lot of cinemas are, well, all cinemas are closed at the moment. Um, right. But Promising Young Woman, Andrew, you, you've seen this one. Um, I have. What did you make of it? And what did you make of Emerald Fresnel's direction? Like, I've heard a lot of great things about this. So I I enjoyed the film. Uh, it's definitely high up there. It's in you know probably my top in my top fifteen of the year. I didn't make it into the top ten, but I, I, what I would say is this: be, the film feels like a direct descendant of Jordan Peele's Get Out. Mm. Like it's got tons of style. It's an impressive debut, high concept with important themes. Uh, you know, I I don't think the screenplay is as strong as I would have liked. Yeah. Um, but I still think it's a movie that will age incredibly well. And it's a movie that should be shown to high school and college students as a strong caution, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to the rampant issue of sexual misconduct on campus and beyond. So, I mean, it's a movie with strong themes, great performances, uh, you know, that I think will get probably treated like a get out too, where, you know, maybe you will maybe gets a nomination i don't think it'll be rewarded in picture or actually winning uh direction if it does yeah uh, i think it probably falls into you know the strongest chance for uh carrie mulligan i think would probably get the strongest chance at everything here um but i still think it could get uh emerald Fennell here could get nominated uh and i wouldn't be upset by it either um yeah. but you know, to me, uh, I, I I don't think it, it it'll go all the way. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that get out that kind of film that sort of gets those nominations but doesn't go all the way. Um, mm. I've used the analogy of of knocking on the door. I think Emerald Fennell's the door's open and she's just peeking in. Um, yes, and she's she's you know people are looking at her, people are taking this piece of filmmaking very very seriously, um, and it's it's going to be fascinating because the next three films that we look at. Um, uh, sorry, the next four films that we look at, I've all seen, uh, and three of them we would um, consider locks. Um, the next film we're gonna, or director we're gonna have a little a little look at, is David Fincher um, for Mank. Um, 
This came out on Netflix. And I have to say, Andrew, you did a great crossover with Mike, Mike and Oscar on this. Um, (laughs) Lengthy. uh, (laughs) It was a long, (laughs) deep dive, but uh, check out um, Andrew and Mike, Mike and Oscar. Um, It's available on, uh, you know, all good podcasting apps, a really good deep dive into this one. Um, Fincher's Oscar nomination or Oscar history is interesting. Um, two nominations, 2008's The Curious Case of Benjamin Button and 2010's The Social Network. Um, previous films, you know, uh, Seven, Fight Club, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Social Network, Gone Girl. Um, I've got a little bit to say about Mank, but I obviously know from listening to Mike, Mike and Oscar's crossover, some of your thoughts, but for our dear listeners, what did you think of Mank and what did you think of David Fincher's direction there? Well, first of all, just for his case, just to to piggyback on what you were saying, uh, two-time Oscar nom for directing four-time Golden Globe for directing with one win and three-time DGA, a lot of the commonality in terms of his resume for this year and for Mank Um, his nominations usually come for films that don't involve like murder or more heinous material, Mm. as you noted with Benjamin Button and social network, something a little more procedural or something (laughs) more, more mystical even. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, Fincher with Mank, I think has a better chance for that regard because this movie is, you know, has a lot of themes that we can, we can get into, but I mean, it, you know, it, it is a Hollywood looking at Hollywood picture. It's it's got amazing cinematography and and, and throwing back the classic black and white. Yeah. Um, you know, a great performance from Oldman, uh, as well as, you know, Amanda Seyfried. I don't know, like she's definitely been knocked down several pegs where she was the front runner at one point, but I thought that was, you know, incredibly well deserved when she was kind of the front runner yeah. for a while there. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a movie that it's probably my, you know, right behind Chicago seven, uh, you know, kind of, and right there with Ma Rainey in terms of like my favorite Netflix films that are in contention, definitely like a, a top 10, top, top 12 of the year film for me. And, you know, I love Fincher. This is not my favorite version of Fincher. Um, but I think it's, it's well done. I think the more times you watch it, the more it builds on you. I know it has for me Mm. um, because it's got tons of style and great performances. And, you know, especially for any deep level film geeks and and historical buffs, you get all those buttons pushed uh, from Fincher here. Plus, how do you not, you know, love the the family ties of bringing his father's screenplay to to life here? So I think he's a lock for the nom. Mm-hmm. I actually like if I know people love uh, to say gun to my head, but I think it's a two person race between him and Zhao. And I would not be shocked if he won. Yeah, um, it's that's fascinating because um, I will actually touch upon the betting odds for the Golden Globes shortly. But he is second favorite for the Globe. Um and I just, I, I, like Zhao, you look at the betting market, you look at everyone's lists on Gold Derby, she seems to be really, really high up, or number one in most places. But this this film from Fincher, like, I came into Mank, I didn't know a huge amount about it, I'd obviously seen the trailer, I adored this movie. Like, mm. I, so I did, I did Mike, Mike and Oscar's Mank miniseries, I did Citizen Kane, <laughs> I did Mank 
twice. I've watched this film twice. I know other people have watched it a lot more than that. And it is a film that you want to, you want to sort of like us film geeks. We love it. You know, the citizen Kane references, some of the Easter eggs in that movie are are tremendous, but the way it's shot, the direction, I think Gary Oldman's performance was, um, darkest hour. I was, Churchill's an amazing historical figure here in the UK and there's been lots of people who've portrayed him on screen. I wasn't the the biggest fan of his Churchill. I'm, I, he obviously went on to win the Oscar, but for me, this is like one of his best career performances. Um, mm. We said on the last episode, in terms of his acting, the um, the ability to act drunk and to do it well is very, very difficult. But if yeah. we look at it from a directing perspective, the, the ability to direct someone and to get the best out of them. And I think that's what Finch has done here with um, with Gary Oldman and with, with the cast. And it's it's a tremendous film. And it's like I said, I will touch on the betting odds a little bit later. Um, but I, I think if he's going to win, it has to start at the Globes for me. Yeah, especially for the Globes giving Mank the most nominations. Yeah, you know, I, and I think that because the performances aren't the like steamrolling anybody or in the lead by any stretch anymore, and even you know, cinematography might win, uh, obviously, like going forward or something. But uh, you know, it's really Fincher screenplay and the screenplay by his father and and best picture are their best chances yeah. besides the below the line stuff. And I, yeah, you're right. It has to start here. And I think he definitely has, uh, you know, has to get more DGA here as well, mm. because, you know, like I said, it three time DGA nominee, but it's for all the movies that aren't his more, <laughs> you know, sinister stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so, there is some sinister yeah. stuff in there. Yeah. Oh, and I, it's my favorite Fincher stuff. I'm, I'm, a de- <laughs> I'm a deviant David. So you can, uh, <laughs> you'll get to know me even more, but, um, yeah, so I, I love that about him. I love the the dark grind. I love, you know, like Mindhunter he did in between. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, but, man, uh, yeah, I, I can see him winning for the fact that he's never won, and he's one of our greatest living filmmakers. So, you know, that does carry something, um, especially in a year where maybe it's not a slam dunk of who would win. So, you know, there's always that. Yeah, I think you're spot on. For me, um, I think Fincher is the one to take on Zhao. I, I think Fincher over Sorkin personally. Um, but like you said, he's such an experienced director. He's He's got an incredible filmography, uh, a brilliant filmography. Um, Curious Case of Benjamin Button is actually one of my favourite films. I rewatched it again at Christmas. I just think it's a majestic piece of filmmaking. I love it. Um, and other things like Seven and Fight Club in there as well. I mean, how can you not like those movies? Um, yeah. He's very, very experienced behind the camera, but directing, etc. Someone with a little bit less experience um, in the directorial chair is Regina King. Um, she directed One Night in Miami, uh, which is brought to you by Amazon Studios. Her Oscar history is one nomination and one win for 2018's If Beale Street Could Talk in Supporting Actress. Um, and it's a theatrical directorial debut. Um, she has done some documentary and TV work, I believe, but this is her theatrical directorial debut. Um, and it's a damn good one. Um, I, I really enjoyed one night in Miami for me. It was, it was all about those four performances and those four iconic characters. And with a, with a screenplay like that and with 
for such big, bold, empowering American figures, it it it's it takes a talented director to 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 bring that all together and to produce an engaging and it is a really engaging piece um, together. Um, what did you think of One Night in Miami, and where do you stand with Regina King in the in this director's race? I I, I like this movie uh, a lot. It's right behind Judas and the Black Messiah of like the movies in contention. It's it's super high up for me. It, it's a top five film of the year for sure. Uh, you know, <laughs> weirdly, uh, I, just as a, a side note that no one cares about, it is my second favorite Amazon film of the year. <laughs> uh, and uh, if if nobody's seen I'm Your Woman, oh my god, it was my favorite movie of the year. It's tremendous. But that's for another podcast. So uh, I just wanted to put that out there. It is awesome. Right okay. Here. I'll, I'll, um, I'll have to. So this, I mean, this podcast is called, is it worth it? So that's, that's definitely one that's worth it. Andrew. 100% worth it. I, I did not expect to be blown away by that film. And it's my favorite of the year. That's great to hear. Um, so, but as far as one night in Miami is concerned, I was lucky enough to uh, see the film in Middleburg as well as Minari and uh, you know, and then, once it came on Amazon, I rewatched it immediately because I wanted to not only refresh myself for conversations like this, but I was excited to see it again. There very rare films uh, this season am I jazzed to revisit. Some of these are so heavy or, you know, something. This is just an easy pill to go down. Yeah. And it's it's you can tell, you know, it's a, it's a it's an amazing script from from Kemp Powers here yeah. who also did Soul this year and it's based on his play and you know you could tell it's developed from a play you know very limited locations a lot of heavy dialogue but to me that I thought she did a very good job of making it you know staged well enough positioned yeah. well enough that you didn't feel this claustrophobia that you get from stage adaptations sometimes yeah um and and then you know, they do their best with trying to move out of the hotel room and try to get some extra things done. And when they are outside of that, I think it is effective. So mm. kudos to her for that. But I, I would say it's not really a a uh, an impressive director feat. Like, it's not like this grandiose, like, oh, my God, look at these, you know, tremendous uh, vistas or look at how they did this action performance or, or yeah. how they there's no athletic filmmaking to kind of do here but she captures what's important and i think that's just as important for a director to do and and like i said always impressive when a stage adaptation doesn't always feel like one so i think it's well positioned um and I, you know golden globe and critics directing nom already uh the name recognition is huge from having this background, you're going to see that come up between Emerald Fennell and Aaron Sorkin, too, where they're not traditional directors, yeah. but they have name recognition in other ways that I think can bolster their re resume, which is why I said, watch out, Lee Isaac Chung, like that might come into play here. Mm. Um, but, you know, first feature uh, is always tough, as I mentioned before, yeah, and even though she does have a directing career for, for television and documentaries, but, you know... We'll, we'll see where that lands. I think she probably gets in the five, but uh, it, 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 it could be tough. 
Yeah, I think there is there is a bit of momentum behind Regina King. She obviously won for that supporting actress for If Bill Street Could Talk. And unless I'm getting mixed up, she made quite a powerful Oscars speech, really sort of yes. got a lot of recognition. And I think the Academy won't forget that. And I think she's definitely a player come Oscars Sunday. Um, someone who's, who's definitely a player and is a masterful writer um, is Aaron Sorkin. Um, he directs the trial of the Chicago seven, which is on Netflix. Um, his Oscar history is, is fascinating. Three nominations, one win for 2010's the social network in adapted screenplay. Um, previous films, Molly's game, 2017, he was a director, but he's been a writer on Moneyball, the social network, Charlie Wilson's war, a few good men. I've got to give a big shout out to Moneyball. Anytime that film comes up, I have to say how much I love it. Um, yeah. Me and my dad, uh, we went over to um, Los Angeles maybe 10 years ago and we weren't very clued in with baseball, but we catched uh, an LA Angels game. And ever since then, we've been big fans. We actually did Yankees Red Sox in London a couple of mm. years back, which was so cool. Uh, met so many great Americans that travelled over to London. I'm getting distracted, but I could talk about sports. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about sports. Um all day, but Moneyball, brilliant film. But The Trial of the Chicago 7, you said you were very hot on it. Um, just expand a little bit on that and, and just tell our, our listeners a little bit about Sorkin and, and how you think he's done here as a director. Well, just from the first five minutes of that movie, just have an incredible pace mm. that and, and so much information that he was able to go through in this you know fast-paced montage that really just bring you right into the heart of the story because you know for a movie that's going to be largely put in a courtroom yeah you know you're you need to have these dynamic pieces to to fill out if you want to be no noticed as a director and mm -hmm. i think between that early sequence the sequences of the the standoffs with the police in chicago uh you know there's a lot of great sequences uh in there like i said i didn't I had some issues with plot stuff uh, later on in the film, but when I first watched it, I was like, that's probably going to win Best Picture. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it, it, it just has that type of feel to it. Mm. Um, I think the, and, and to be honest, I, I watched Molly's Game, his directorial debut, and that movie has a big problem in the in the, and it's way too long mm. you can tell that it's kind of a first feature he has a lot of lumps you know in there uh, yeah. the, the whole kevin costner storyline is bizarre at the end there, <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot to kind of just you know tilt your head at but with all that said the dga still nominated him for best first feature mm. uh dga nomination so that says a lot to me. Yeah. And I think, you know, that means that, you know, DGAs might be more kind to him, yeah. which might bolster things going forward. So that I I, I want to really see, but I, I still think he's a lock mm. for a nomination for that reason. I still think he's probably not going to win, but he does have a lot of things going for him. Uh, and, and, you know, the film is going to get a lot of, uh, you know, top to bottom wins all over the night i think so th this one he doesn't need probably has a better chance at you know the the screenplay but we'll see 
Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Andrew. That was that was great. Um, I, th- I think you're right. I think Sorkin is a bit of a lock. Um, but number one on our list is is the biggest of locks, I would suggest. Not necessarily for the win, although the bookmakers would disagree. They've pretty much given her the award already. But hell, they did that for Glenn Close and look what happened there. Um, <laughs> it's true. She was so short with the bookmakers going into that um, that Oscars Sunday and, and obviously Coleman won. So you can't always take the bookmakers or Vegas, the odds at face value. You have to use your brain a bit. But we're talking about Chloe Zhao, Nomadland, Searchlight Pictures, um, Oscar History, History never nominated. Um, previous films include Songs My Brothers Taught Me and The Rider in 2017. I've seen a lot of people on film Twitter, a lot of critics and, and others sort of talking about The Rider now. Um, I wish they'd t- talked about it three years ago because <laughs> me and Craig reviewed this movie and I thought it was tremendous. Um, I don't know if you've seen The Rider. I haven't yet. Uh, I can't find it many places, to be yeah, honest. It's um, a tough one. It is, uh, and and like you said, it didn't get a huge amount. It, it was like I think an indie spirit and yeah. critical success back then, but nothing to the level of you know major awards uh, conversation, which is I think probably the biggest knock a- against her in a, in a way that you know maybe because she's not with name recognition as much as a lot of these other people here that that might do something uh, against her. And especially if say the golden globes who are uh, an atrocious awards body, you know, (laughs) and, and they don't love to champion, you know, people of color or women very much Mm. that if say Fincher or Sorkin wins best director uh, at the globes, I think that would be something to where she might get, knock down a peg and lose some momentum too. Um, so we'll see after this Sunday, but yeah, I, I was, you know, I'm, I'm lucky, you know, to have this movie on Hulu here in the U S and, uh, finally got to see it, uh, when it premiered, uh, on Hulu a couple weeks ago and yeah, really good film. Love her style. It's this verite style that, you know, harkens to almost like putting Francis McDormand in a documentary yes. about nomads uh, yeah. in a sense. It, and, and to be honest, she, she loves having that verite style. Like you, you see it a lot with the, her first two features and, you know, a lot of the same crossovers in terms of types of shots she likes. Um, yeah. And the, the amazing vistas is like a cheat code in this movie to like get people <laughs> to just be like, just seeing the country, you know, yeah. seeing the countryside, seeing these gorgeous images, um, you know, who wouldn't want a travel show with Francis McDormand, McDormand, excuse me, but, um, you know, best director nom at the Globes, Critics' Choice and Indie Spirits here, several best director noms and wins in the critics' bodies across the country all year long. Doesn't shock me that she's considered the, the favorite here or at least right up there, um, but I... I and I wouldn't be shocked if she won. But like I said, I think it's a two-horse race between her and Fincher. Yeah, um, I totally agree. Me me and Craig actually managed to get a screener for this. It's not available in the UK, but we got a screener for this. We managed to to watch it, to review it. Please check out our review. It was on our last episode, I believe, um, where we also reviewed Greenland. So I don't know if you've seen that Amazon Prime disaster movie. 
<laughs> I haven't just yet. No. Yeah, so it was like Chloe Zhao, No Man's Land, and then Greenland with Gerard Butler. A very, very weird show. Um, <laughs> two very contrasting films. But I think Zhao, like you said, and we said in our review, it has such a documentary-esque feel. And what I love about this movie is... Uh, I will say now, I, I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. I've said that uh, throughout the year. There's something where I think this could be the kind of film where, a bit like Alfonso Cuaron for Roma, where it wins in the director's category but struggles in the in the picture category. Because, again, as a as a film buff, I love I love I love the pace it has. I love how the the film moves with this really engaging pace but at the same time not a huge amount happens it's very very bizarre um and i think that's credit to to chloe zhao on on her ability to to direct and like you said um francis mcdormand is is tremendous um i did just want to touch upon uh the betting odds for the golden globes in this category because they're very very interesting um chloe zhao is the heavy heavy favorite one to five or minus 500 as you would say in the u.s it's basically meaning you'd have to put on 500 pounds or 500 dollars to win 100 and get 600 mm. back david fincher is the second favorite at five to one Aaron Sorkin is at 10 to 1. Regina King is 14 to 1. And Emerald Fennell is 16 to 1. So Zhao, Fincher, Sorkin, King and Fennell in that order for the bookmakers. What do you make about that, um, Andrew? You know, her being that much of a favourite according to the to Vegas and the, and the bookmakers. I, I agree with a lot of the things you said there. The Roma comp is interesting um, because, you know, I think this is a much more digestible film. Yes. And the, uh, and it does have help from now being on streaming services yeah. and everything else and being available, but it was available late. So I, I'm yeah. interested to see how that pans out. Um, I can definitely see what you said uh, as far as like picture goes. And, and, you know, we could, I don't want to compare. And I've heard a lot of people saying like Chicago seven is going to be the green book of these <laughs> things, because I think that's not, a, an equivalency that I want to see go forward. But um, I think there are a lot of commonalities in terms of where it could overtake that. I, I think there's something to say also with um, the, the acting guild is the largest body and there's a ton of non-actors in this film. There's yes. only a couple of real actors. So I wonder if that might hurt just enough to be lesser, you know, less recognized than it will going forward, but we'll we'll see we'll see where it goes with that. But um, yeah, it's 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 I, I I agree with you. Like it just seems like it's just not gonna win enough. Like yeah. it's not gonna get enough through, and and not anything of the, of the film's fault. The film is very good. It, it's definitely a top ten film for me, top five mm. film. Um, but yeah, I I. I don't know about this one especially in in the puzzle theory right i don't know where this fits either where it's gonna be like we want to recognize this film yeah. so maybe it gets adapted screenplay mm. and that's where it gets it or is it gonna be chloe zhao and when it doesn't get picture you know in in the in the corona example you said you know i can definitely see a lot of those scenarios yeah. happening it's or or Frances McDormand, maybe, but like she's got a uphill climb with a strong, strong category. Very strong, uh, yeah. And and not to mention, you know, like I said, 
it's it's basically just her and straight iron for for real actors in yeah. that film so i don't know if that'll work too and she's already has multiple wins so mm. we'll see We'll see how that plays out, but uh, it's it's driving me crazy, and I know it's driving our mutual friends, Mike, Mike, and Oscar crazy. Oh, yeah. Puzzle, <laughs> puzzle theory is all over the map. Precursors yeah. aren't all the way set out. The The calendar's all the way off, so we're all goofballs right now. We, <laughs> we don't know what's going on, so um, this is fun to kind of, as a talking exercise, but yeah. I'm sure come even just after Golden Globe Sunday, we're all going to have different opinions yeah, that will absolutely. shake it all up. <laughs> Um, before we round off the show, Andrew, we've we've listed um, eleven directors there. Um, I did give you a couple of other directors to potentially to talk about very briefly. Was there was there any in that list that, that that stood out for you that you were really impressed with that you think might have an Oscars chance an Oscar chance come Oscars Sunday? I don't think any of the ones you listed has an Oscars chance, but just to to kind of just touch on them a little bit, like George C. Wolf, I think deserves. A lot of credit in the same way Regina King does yeah. for for adapting a play of that nature, a very even more claustrophobic play yeah. than even One Night in Miami. And he he actually changed the ending of the play to give additional things to make it actually I think a more potent film. So that's what you get when you get yeah. a good director. Uh, and George C. Wolf should be uh, recognized for that in some fashion. I don't think he'll be rec- recognized in nomination form. Um, Christopher Nolan. One of my favorite directors. Same here, uh, yeah. Tenet is beautiful to look at, an incredible score, mm. good performances of a movie that is incoherent largely at times. And <laughs> I, I, it's my least favorite Nolan film to date. So, you know, is he an, still an accomplished, amazing director? Yes. Uh, is, is the fact that he's getting nothing for Tenet... Uh, applicable yes i think so um i know others who would disagree but you know i think largely the critical bodies have kind of slammed it down yeah at least enough um and then uh you know Cordo mandrusco for uh pieces of a woman you know an amazing opening sequence oh incredible uh uh that i think that will live on uh going forward i don't see a nomination uh as well because i think structurally the movie has a a bit of a problem and i think you know some of the you know the things that we rather forget uh kind of hurt that film uh especially you know given shia labeouf too and everything else so that movie is kind of cursed it's a little cursed uh but (laughs) it's definitely worth watching it's an incredible vanessa kirby performance but um i don't think for direction he'll get any favors and uh sam levinson from malcolm and marie uh i i feel like it's kind of on that regina king george c wolf conversation even though this is not a play adaptation yeah. but it moves like it in in such a one it's a one location two people film that's incredibly difficult and i think for how they uh stage their actors actors positioned uh their camera uh, and the some of the cinematography is gorgeous in this film um and and it's i think such an impressive feat but it's 
something that's probably going to get more recognized for its performances more than anything. So Sam Levinson, I, I applaud you, uh, especially for, you know, coming after <laughs> other targets that are, is an uphill battle but, uh, <laughs> yeah. for a movie made in quarantine. That movie is uh, one of the better ones of the year and it should never have been for, for how difficult yeah, it was totally to agree. accomplish that movie. And you did a review with also Michael and Malcolm and Murray, I believe. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Guys, definitely check that out. It's a hell of a hell of a good review. Um, Andrew, thank you so much um, for joining us on Road to the Oscars episode three. Um, it's It's been an absolute privilege doing this deep dive with you and, and having a little study. Um, really do appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I had a great time. Like I said, don't always get to to visit outside of the Netflix bubble. So yeah, I appreciate yeah. uh, being able to talk about a lot of the other films that I truly adored throughout the year. Yeah. Uh, and just a little reminder for our lovely listeners where they can find your podcast. Easiest way to do it is nomcastpod.com. We even have a, a collections drop down where uh, I have an Oscars collection to have like all the, the past films we've reviewed that are up for Oscars or awards yeah. chase stuff. So hoping to get to add a few more to that collection uh, this year uh, come March 15th. Uh, but right now you can check out all the old episodes and our and our current ones. Um, and we have an upcoming uh, State of the Union that I like to do with also Mike from Mike, Mike and Oscar yeah. as well, where we <laughs> kind of look forward to the entire year. And it's fun to always look back yeah. and see how wrong we were, uh, considering, I think, you know, <laughs> yeah. Although I will give Mike credit on this podcast real quick uh, to say uh, he did say red flags abound for Hillbilly Elegy. So Whoa. he nailed that right on the head. So yeah, Hi Hillbilly him. Elegy. I, I actually, I'll, before we end the show, I had a nightmare the other day that that got nominated <laughs> for Best Picture. <laughs> and I tweeted Mike, Mike and Oscar and, and they were like, don't worry, David, it's probably just a dream. And boy, yeah. let's hope it was because that was a film littered with problems. Um, oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> Andrew, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. And dear listener, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. You can also email the show at mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. That email address again is mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. And we really do love um, receiving all your emails. Andrew, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. I know you're extremely busy. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us from the other side of the pond in the US of A. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. And make sure you listen for our next edition of Road to the Oscars, where I have another guest lined up to discuss all things Oscars. So, he's been Andrew Morgan. And he's David Long. And this was Road to the Oscars. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs>